Crackalackian Hardwood Knox listeners, I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host today. Rest assured, though, I am not alone. Today, I will be joined by NBA agent Todd Ramasarth. This is a second appearance on the Hardwood Knox podcast. Um, he is the president and founder of the Life Sport Agency. He represents players like Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors, Kavon Looney of the Golden State Warriors, Thomas Bryant of the Washington Wizards, other players, and specifically the player we're going to discuss very in-depth today, Josh Primo, who is the youngest player coming out of the 2021 NBA draft, does not turn 19, does not turn 19 until Christmas Eve 2021. That is absolutely wild. He was initially coming out of Alabama projected to be a second round prospect. He ended up going to the San Antonio Spurs at number 12 inside the lottery. Folks thought it would be a good time to bring Todd on to discuss just how the hell that happened. So I picked his brain about the pre-draft process for Josh, what he saw in Josh specifically when he, when he sort of found them, the, the, the work that went in the behind the scenes to go to that, the feedback that they were getting from teams um, it was a fascinating conversation for anyone that really cares about how this stuff unfolds. We might have more on this later on to sort of tease something. I'm not sure if we will. That goes a little bit more in depth, but this was a great 40-minute um, or so conversation. I highly suggest that you you listen to it. I will timestamp this, as always, in the bio with the, with the different topics that we roll through. But yeah, as always, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knox wherever you're getting your podcast because we are anywhere and everywhere. iTunes does help us out the most, though, so whether or not you use it, head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us that five-star rating, write a review, help us juice those numbers up, folks. I cannot stress or ask that or beg for that enough. Follow us on YouTube as well, where there will be certain exclusives um, and also just clips from our podcast that you can digest in snackable form youtube.com search hardwood knocks we come up we are on instagram at hardwood underscore knocks we're on twitter at hardwood knocks spelled like it sounds we're also on tiktok for some reason at hardwood knocks so please follow us on all those mediums we appreciate every single one of you listeners but now let's get to this conversation i had with nba agent and founder and president of the life sport agency todd ramasar Todd, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast. Um, I know you're coming to us live from a car in Vegas. How are you doing? Are you able to stay cool in said car amid that Vegas heat? You know, thank God for uh, tent and thank God for AC. I got a good AC in my car, so uh, it's still early over here. If it was uh, noon or after afternoon, Dad, I don't know if I would still be able to say that even with uh, air conditioning. Uh, you've got to be like one of the very few people like uh, there for summer league that were up so early because having knowing the inner workings of summer league, it's very, that stuff goes late out there. So are you getting any more than two or three hours of sleep per night? while you're, while you're in town for that. You know, maybe uh, I'd, I'd say probably about four, four hours of sleep, but it's good. There's a, you know what though? It's like, uh, you know, with the pandemic and, and us back at summer league, there's a, a little bit different energy uh, this time around because it's good to see some, you know, familiar faces that I haven't seen in uh, in probably two years or a year and a half. So it's just great to be back in the gym and seeing fans and and just some normalcy of uh, summer off season. So the primary reason uh, you're on is to talk about Josh Primo now of the the San Antonio Spurs, drafted number twelve overall. I think 
even for people who followed the draft process very intimately and saw all the positive reviews that were coming out of the combine, uh, I think a lot of people were surprised to see him go so high. And so I have many questions just about him and that process. Yeah. But I, I first wanted to know is just how did you first come in touch with Josh? Had you seen him play when he was with, you know, under 19 and in, in Canada, what was it about him that um, drew, drew you to him specifically or your, or your team to him specifically? Yeah, I actually first saw Josh uh, coincidentally at basketball without borders uh, in Chicago during all-star weekend. And, um, and what was that? 2020 uh, right before uh, the pandemic. Uh, Pascal was named an all-star. He was there visiting, also being a, uh, I guess you could say, alumni of, uh, of BWB. So that was the first time, and Josh had a, a, a great showing there. But um, I actually um, I actually now have a, a strong presence as an agency there in Canada. Uh, I, brought, I brought on a staff member from Canada, Canada who's great. And uh, in, in beyond Josh, it's like we're representing... Uh, several Canadian players, Eugene Omarui uh, out of Oregon, that's uh, now with the Dallas Mavericks on a two-way uh, contract, and also Marcus Carr, uh, who actually went back to school and uh, transferred to University of Texas. So uh, getting back to Josh, it was just, you know, seeing that he was so young checking into Alabama at 17, and you saw his poise as an 18-year-old, and then, of course, after we uh, started conversations with his family, uh, they really bought into uh, what I was proposing uh, in terms of uh, player development training, having not just a plan for uh, the pre-draft process, but also having a plan for his career. And then, of course, once uh, he committed, he signed, and then we, saw, we had him in our gym, and I put some NBA coaches around him. That's where you could really see um, how talented he is and also how talented he's going to be in terms of uh, it, just his overall development as he uh, continues to progress in his career. And you had sent me a note about this, but just for our listeners, what went into like the process of getting him ready for the draft? You mentioned, you know, like you brought in NBA coaches. I think you even sent me notes saying you brought in like um, people with NBA refereeing experience. So can you give us a little bit yeah. of insight into what that was like? Yeah, you know, it's for Josh and, and all my clients. I'm a big believer in, you know, you know, for these young men that are, 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 are actually making that transition to the NBA, it's like always for me and our staff and, and the staff is like really pushing the envelope because everyone has a unique skill set uh, and not just on the court, but a unique personality and their needs may be different. So for, for, for Josh in particular and all the clients, it was, not just putting one NBA coach around him and, and say John Lucas, the third, you know, who's played in the NBA was an assistant coach in the Minnesota Timberwolves under Todd Thibodeau for three years and uh, second generation uh, co NBA coach. It was also adding, you know, a longtime friend of mine and former teammate at UCLA Earl Watson who's a 13 year NBA vet, you know, uh, former head coach of the Phoenix suns and, uh, and even David Gale or Jared cook, like, really bringing these basketball purists that are teachers that are around to kind of just really push the envelope on all these players to, you know, kind of help them in terms of understanding the game from a cerebral standpoint on the NBA level, but also just help with their overall development in terms of that transition to the NBA. 
Cause I'm a big believer that, you know, if um, I'm a big believer in not getting trainers around my coach, my, my players, but coaches and not just coaches, but NBA coaches and those types of coaches that are teachers. And then uh, the rest takes care of itself. And then a new uh, twist this year was the NBA officiating. I think oftentimes we don't understand just, you know, especially for someone like Josh Primo in 12 months, he goes from high school to college to being in the NBA, right? So for him, it's not just understanding that the three-point line has moved back, you know, that much in, uh, in 12 months. Uh, from a rule standpoint, understanding the, the, the hash marks, the defensive box, understanding spacing, understanding, you know, how they're going to be called uh, for fouls, you know, within that defensive box or, box or outside just understanding the game at so many levels. And, and Earl always says this, and I love it. I have taken it. There's a thousand games being played within the game. And for, for our, our guys, any edge that I could give them early on, um, I wanted, I wanted to do that. And uh, that's exactly uh, what we've done in terms of putting those resources around them. Sports science, NBA officiating, NBA coaching, and then, Throughout the process, I always say it's fluid, fluid, just making adjustments on the fly. Even sports psychologists um, uh, and doctors, I'm putting around them. Did, from either your perspective or did Josh mention anything about what maybe had the biggest impact um, through that process for him, whether it was, you know, like you said, the sports scientists, the doctors, the NBA head coaches, or the, the NBA officiating? Um, was there any part of the process that you think had the overall biggest impact, maybe a little bit more so uh, than others? No, it's like a, it's, it's almost like, I always say it's like a, a good rest. It's like a, a good meal, right? It's like, what was the key ingredient? It's like, no, all the ingredients put together make that, that mm -hmm. special taste or that special meal. If I talk to Josh, you know, I would say it was everything. Like when you're that young and, and mother nature is still taking its course in terms of overall development and he's still growing literally it's like the sports scientists and the doctors, that's crucial in terms of, um, you know, making sure from a biomechanical standpoint, you know, we're not just throwing, you know, having them with a the trainer lifting weights. For us, it's like understanding his body, understanding where he's at in terms of his overall development and then addressing it from a strength and conditioning standpoint. That was crucial. Um, the coaches, not just the drills on the court, but the conversations, right? Uh, the, the film. Um, and then the NBA officiating, they were there for a week, really breaking down film of, uh, the, you know, Josh uh, at Alabama, but really breaking down film of some NBA players and how they draw fouls or how they get called for fouls. And then the sports psychologists, like, like I said, it's really just uh, very fluid. There's a timing to everything. And, um, and it's all part of that, you know, that overall plan, uh, but specific to the plan of the draft in terms of positioning him to get drafted as high as possible. I think part of the reason some people get surprised when certain players are drafted where they are is it's tough for more fans or maybe even, you know, people who are covering the draft from a zillion miles out to envision players in different roles. And so you have Josh at Alabama, who's basically the, you know, the third or fourth guard for his year there. And now he's being drafted number 12 overall because the Spurs are envisioning him in a larger role. What is sort of his for fans who might not know a ton about his game? And I spoke to people who watched or scouted him a bunch in college and 
and prep for this, but for people who haven't seen enough of him, what do you think is um, his mystery box skills, so to speak, that you think is going to contribute the most to him um, being successful in the NBA if he's able to, you know, hone it or use it, break it out consistently? Yeah, Josh, for for being 18 and a half years old, uh, and it came up, and I'm sure uh, there was some comments about it, the interview process. So you could obviously evaluate a player on the court, but sometimes you don't know what's going on, again, in terms of their level of maturity or how they process information um, uh, during games or even just how they process just information overall. Josh was extremely impressive in interviews to the point that if you're sitting across the table interviewing him, you didn't feel like you were talking to an 18 and a half year old. You thought you were talking to a veteran. His understanding of the game and concepts and reads uh, is impressive. And it's almost like, you know, you're, you're seeing the flashes on the court in workouts where he's so young. It's like the synopsis between his brain and his body. They're firing and you're seeing those connections being made. And it's kind of beautiful, at least for me as his, as his agent and uh, I so much more from the time I saw Josh in the gym to even three months later, it, there's been an incredible um, uh, uh, development curve for him, even in that short period of time. Uh, I was just talking to him. They, they played a game yesterday, even seeing how his ball handling has gotten that much tighter. He's playing the point. Uh, a lot for the Spurs because Trey Jones had gone down uh, with a concussion. And when you get a player with his size and length and athleticism and then understanding a game, and then you're seeing him being only 18 years old going up against, you know, 21, 22 and, and even older uh, players and hold his own. That's what I see in terms of his best, best attributes, but also where I think the Spurs and other teams found value in him more value in him in this process that otherwise they didn't weren't able to really see at Alabama this past season. I'm sure there's always the youth aspect might be a concern for some teams, but were there any other concerns that you knew in general teams would look at or focus on with Josh that you, you guys were able to either focus on yourselves behind the scenes or answer during interviews to put them at ease or something that would just swing the overall and, interpretation of we will draft this um really young the youngest player in the draft and we want to make that type of investment in him yeah you know it's these these things are over that's why it's called the pre-draft process it's it's a process you know teams like the spurs that have their own internal process that has, has obviously worked well through the years you know in terms of them identifying you know tim duncan was I don't want to say easy, but he was easy, right? Being at the ACC at Wake Forest, and that was he was a consensus overall number one pick. But like the Manu Ginobili's, the Tony Parkers, the the Kawhi Leonard's, these guys that they identified that actually had more value than where they were being projected. That's what they do, and in their process, that you know they have a way of going about things. So where they were, where they were at with Josh, say day one in this process to where they were at 60 or even 90 days later at draft night, it evolved because they were doing their due diligence. We were communicating quite frequently. 
And for me, I'm very, I try to be as objective as possible when I'm evaluating my clients. And, you know, I told him, I told them, or I was sharing my opinion because here's the, here's the reality uh, is I'm, I'm not behind my desk in the pre-draft process. My desk is being in the gym. I'm on the phone and I'm in the gym every single day with my new clients that I've just onboarded in this process. And for me, it's all about watching them and understanding where they're at at that moment and where I feel myself and the staff and the resources I put around them, where they're going to be, right? Same thing I did with Pascal Siakam. And for Josh, you know, just watching him that first week and watching his feet, watching his movement, watching his shots, watching him compete against other clients like Eves Pons, who was defensive player of the year at SEC and just physically gifted and focused. Eugene Omarui, another defensive specialist, and then Justin Champagny, and seeing him at 18 competing against these guys that are much older and in some cases, you know, winning games or even having those flashes, it's easy for me to communicate to say the Spurs to say, guys, if you were considering him at 41, just know he's not going to be there. You better start considering him with your lottery pick if you're serious, because this kid is a unicorn. He's going to be he's special, but he's going to be a special player in this league. And you, you just sort of outlined a, a huge, like the process itself. So I don't want to boil it down to just one thing, but was there maybe a flashbulb moment during the process where you looked at Josh or you just knew that he is going to go way earlier than expected? Maybe that initiation moment that would make you go to the Spurs and say, hey, he's not going to be there in the 40s. Like you need to start consider taking him earlier. Now that flashbulb moment was a week of Josh being in the gym. Wow. You know, because I always say this, it's like, it, again, it's, it's, I don't go off projections. I go off talent. When I'm evaluating my clients to, to recruit them, um, I'm going off of what I see on synergy or in film or what my staff or other great basketball minds I consult with and get their opinion. And then that's one thing of seeing a player in a system, say in this case with Nate Oates at Alabama, seeing Josh in a system. But the college game is different than the NBA game as well. So once Josh hit our gym and we're able to like test drive him, like push him through some things, it does it didn't take long. It took that, like I said, that first week to say, oh, hold on, we, we there there's more to Josh Primo than anybody saw. We saw flashes of it, but now we're really seeing it. It's it, then you start to see, and not just me, the NBA coaches. Like, hold on, I'm seeing Devin Booker in them. I'm seeing Brandon Roy in them. I'm seeing this this player that's six four, six six five today that's still growing. That may end up being six seven or six eight. You don't know, but regardless, here's a guy that could play the point, a guy that could play the two, a guy that could play the three. He could shoot the three. He could get to the mid range. He could get a foot in the paint, finish above the rim, get, you know, get to the line. He could create for others. He's got a great mind and he's only 18. Those are, those are all the ingredients for a great player. Now it's my job to make sure I'm putting the resources around them to make sure that he's developing and maximizing that potential. And then now it's it, as best as I could in this draft process, trying to, 
um, at least strategically plan him ending up on it with a great franchise. Obviously, it worked out great with the Spurs. And then now it's a partnership in terms of us working together to uh, develop that talent. That's Josh Primo. You brought up something interesting that I think people, even like someone who's covered the league for 10 plus years, like myself, forgets is these kids are so young that it's not even just they're not finished, you know, on court talents. It, you mentioned Josh Primo could still grow because he's only 18 years old. And so how much does that like factor into when you're speaking with teams or just overall teams impressions of players where it's it's not just trying to envision what his skill set could become or what his size is, you know, length or actual height or even strength is right now, but envisioning, you know, three, four years down the line when he's actually like, I mean, he's still a teenager. And just because of the scale at which all these guys are covered once they get to the NBA, um, they're just mistaken for like these older adults, I feel like a lot of the times. And so I'm just curious as to how much of a factor that unknown physical attribute can actually help or does it even hurt um, prospect style yeah. sometimes? Yeah, Dan. So I'll talk to you like you're the GM of a team and I'm talking about Josh Primo. For me, it's like Josh Primo, guys, is only 18 years old. You saw his pedigree, say, in international basketball, BWB, and then now at Alabama. And then now you're seeing him. Uh, well, one guy's, you know how I look and evaluate players. Look at Pascal or Thomas yeah. Bryan or some of the clients that I've said what their potential is. It's much greater than how people are looking at them. But for me, guys, you know, I, I'd say for me, my process is, does the player love the game? Um, do they have a work ethic? Right. Josh checks those two boxes. And if he didn't grow another inch, does he have good size and ability and a skill set for what's trending in the NBA now for someone at his position? Right. He checks all those boxes. Now I'll say, guys, you remember what it was to be 18. Mother nature still has to take its course. So him at you know, uh, 195 pounds at 6'5 with the 6'9 wingspan and everything else, Mother Nature hasn't taken his course. Look at his parents. Look at his father. Look at the fact that the kid's shoe size grew one full shoe size in the last year from 14s to 15s. So, or look at the fact that in Alabama, when they did, uh, when he uh, injured his knee, they did uh, imaging of his, of his body and his hips and his growth plates were still wide open. So you start taking those factors in, and for me, it's creating this narrative that's based on, you know, what, you know, reality is. It's like, that kid's not done growing, and it doesn't necessarily mean just height. It's weight, it's strength, it's a number of different things. And imagine now a kid like that checking into college at 17 during a pandemic that's originally from Canada, that if you have any experience with Canada, the way they've uh, dealt with the pandemic is much more conservative than the most conservative market here in the U.S. Right. I can make an argument that his development has been hindered right to this point. Right. Now his focus is all basketball. He's with a great franchise that knows player development. He loves the game. He's extremely focused. He has a BBIQ. You put all those factors together and that's the makings of something great. So that's, you know, so it's for the team now to like get him into the gym, put him through uh, the workout, evaluate him. And I like to think I know what I'm talking about. They'll see that all the things I'm talking about aren't biased or exaggerated. 
they're usually going to be aligned with what they see from that player in a workout. In this case, it was Josh and it aligned. If you go back to like the, the stuff, the videos, the clips, the impressions that were coming out around the draft combine of, of Josh, I feel like that's when he was really first thrown onto the, the national radar again, outside of the really intimate basketball circles. Um, the, a lot of the focus was just on, it didn't seem like people when you're looking at scouts or people that cover college basketball or the NBA draft in general, didn't really expect to see like the self-creation that he was showing. You're obviously working with more information at this point, um, at that point. Was it as revelatory, his performance there for teams, coaches, scouts that were watching, or was that just more so this is the first time it's really being relayed from the media? That's a great question. I, I think, well, I'll say this now respectfully, I was working with the most information even up till draft night. And it's, and that's not being arrogant. That's when you're spending, uh, that's why I love the pre-draft process so much in terms of relationship with my clients is when I'm in the gym every day and we're going to lunch or we're talking before after workouts and we're traveling with guys and really getting to know them and their families intimately, I have way more hours than any scout or team with that family and that individual up to this point. I just do, right? And even in the gym. So at that point, it's funny, teams like the Spurs and other teams that were very interested in Josh day one, the combine, the combine was, you know, a blessing and a curse for them because teams will try to keep that secret to themselves. And that secret was Josh Primo, right? Because right. they're evaluating right. them. They might see him, seen him at BWB, maybe had some people in Canada that they trusted that was letting them know about Josh. But then the secret was out of the bag, right? So to speak at the combine where it's like, where's this ball handling playmaking ability been in the last year? Teams didn't see that. They just thought he was a catch and shoot player. Yep. But Josh being the coachable player that he is, that was what he needed to do in a system at Alabama for his team to be successful. And he played that role. But once he went into this process, he was able to really show his full skill set. And I think even people at Summer League are starting to see the things that he's able to do. And that's where it was just like, okay, if we were considering him at 41, that we can no longer do that. We got to really pay attention to this process that's very fluid. And this is the Spurs probably saying this, where 41's, Todd's right. He's not going to be there at 41. We got to seriously consider him being a first round prospect. And if we have this lottery pick, he should be in consideration. Like you said, and I, it's not arrogant, it's your job like to have, and you're also around him. Right. You have more information than anyone through this process. Is there, did you have an idea then on draft night that he could go at 12? Because that's, that's a monster leap. And it was clear that he was projected. I think when you looked at big boards, a lot of them moved him up to like the late teens, early twenties. And so that's even still a bigger jump from there. Do you have an idea going in or is that even a little bit of a surprise for, for you and Josh to see him go there? It, it, it wasn't a surprise to be honest with you. He was going to go higher and I won't say the team out of respect, but a player fell at Josh's position that was rated higher than him. And and, and I'm, I'm grateful for it because I think it's a perfect fit with Josh being in San Antonio, but Josh was going to get drafted even higher. So um, it wasn't a surprise. I, I could, I could rattle off and I, and 
and I won't, you know, I, I got a great relationship with the MDA because I was advocating for Josh to get a green room invite. And it, it is funny to me because like when I'm on the phones talking to these teams, I get a good sense on where he's being projected. In some cases, teams are asking me, Hey Todd, where's Josh going to be drafted? And I'll ask them, where do you think he's going to be drafted? And they're like, Todd, I think that's pretty aligned with what we're hearing or seeing. Well, we don't have a pick there, but we want to get into the mix for Josh. Where would we have to be? And I'll say, well, you have to be here in the lottery or in the teens. And, you know, there's no hesitation on their end that they need to be there. So, you know, the reality is with mock drafts, you know, you got to be careful with them. And I respect those guys because they're talking to teams. But the reality is this. As an agent, when I'm getting information, especially for someone like Josh Primo, that's was in the beginning of this process projected in the second round, right? When I'm moving up a talent like that in the draft, my job is to take information and use it to then leverage it to move a player up higher in the process. Mm -hmm. In this case, with his range being so wide, <clears throat> you don't know how high <clears throat> he's ultimately going to be until you're actually in it because the process is so very fluid. But if I'm you know, I give the credit to Josh and their family. They trusted the process. He worked out for a ton of teams. And those are teams as high as, as, high as the lottery, say, you know, 10, all the way to teams uh, that were scheduled in the early 30s. But once we got in the process, I eliminated a lot of teams really after the combine when I knew he was solidified in the first round started eliminating teams on the back end of the twenties and started focusing on really 10 to 26 because there wasn't enough time to get in those other teams to um, as an insurance policy to have them work out with them. When you're going about that part of this, is it just about trying to move him up or are you also factoring in where you think, and maybe even he thinks that, is going to be the best fit for him long-term as an organization rather than just the, the raw number of where he's drafted. Yeah. I always say this. <clears throat> Agents don't draft players. Teams do. I think once upon a time um, on my side, because I got started in this business at 19, agents had a lot of influence with teams to manipulate the draft. Now that's not the case because GM and front office jobs, it's such a fickle business. They're being hired and fired at a very high rate. If they're not uh, having success as a franchise or they're missing it as it relates to the draft. So th those days of favors happening are long gone, in my opinion. So those, those teams, when they went into the, pro the, the process of evaluating Josh, like, they they evaluated him based on his on his talent, and as I was talking to them, it was again them looking at Josh's talent and comparing them to some other prospects that were one and done type prospects, and saying his upside they thought was greater than others. And for me, even though I can't control the draft of exactly where he's going to be drafted. I always say this, like you, I, for me, I want all my clients with good franchises. What's a good franchise, a franchise that has stability all the way up to ownership, their front office and coaching staff. 
and has a history of developing young talent into what I like to think are, are all-stars or superstar level players. That's very important because my player, my clients are products of their environment being so young. So I need them in good locker rooms with good coaches and, and everything else. If that franchise has instability, it could impact the trajectory of that player's development. So for me, again, going through this process and strategizing, it was making sure that he was working out for teams within his range, but identifying what I thought were great franchises that I thought could help in terms of his development to get to what I think he'll be is a perennial all-star or even superstar status in this league. I a, a lot of times, and this year was probably different, and in 2020 it was obviously incredibly different. Teams are working with a, a lot of information on players before the combine and before they have them for individual workouts. Was there any more stock placed in maybe the individual workouts that Josh or other prospects had this year because teams did have limited, more limited access than usual um, to watching them during the season? And you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of people missed the mark this year. This was one of the most talented drafts uh, in recent history. You saw a lot of talented players go undrafted. And my, I always say every draft, every free agency is a different market. And you have to factor in, you know, sometimes factors that otherwise aren't playing into this. Or in this case, it's an act of God. It's a pandemic. So what you said was a major factor in, at least for me, approaching this draft process for my clients. I knew they were going to have to work harder in this process, regardless of their talent or projection, because teams weren't able to see them during the year because of the pandemic. So that meant that, you know, and maybe uh, any other normal year, maybe Josh Primo, I don't put him in the combine, you know? Maybe I don't put some of my other guys because teams would have saw them during the season and knew that he was a lottery level talent. It's hard to say now, even looking back, if that would be the case, if things were normal, but I made sure that one, the guys got the training, but two, I made sure to expose them to teams so that teams could see their talent, evaluate them and then position them, um, you know, make sure that their position as high as possible going into draft night where teams, you know, it was, if a player went undrafted or fell in the draft for us, we knew that we covered our bases. And even for our clients that went undrafted, all of them had two way guaranteed contracts. Um, you know, whether uh, before the draft ended or immediately after the draft and they're on NBA rosters. Do you think that contributed to what felt like, you know, there wasn't a ton of movement, like picks being traded um, in the first round, and yet it still felt like after the first seven or so names that it was utter anarchy. Um, do you think that contributed to why there were so many wide draft ranges this year? Draft, wide draft ranges on players? Yeah, like, I mean, you even mentioned it with Josh, where you're talking about the Spurs initially were looking at him in the 40s, and all of a sudden he's number 12. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that feels like going into it, a very atypical draft range for, for a prospect here when you're going from lottery to second round. And I do think there are a lot of more surprise yeah. picks other than Josh. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I, and I say this respectfully to other agents uh, about other agents. Everyone has their theories on how the draft process should go. And maybe it's because of my basketball background. I, I'm not just thinking about the draft. I'm thinking about my clients and their careers moving forward. And I hate to use this term, but it's like, I don't want any team to have buyer's remorse, right? Because there's some theories about, you know, uh, manipulating the draft and hiding players and X, Y, and Z to get them drafted higher. But the problem with that is if a team that's drafted that player thinking that they're, that they're investing in something that otherwise they didn't have all the information once that player is under their roof in their practice facility and now they're pushing that player. Now they realize they're, they're not what they're, what they thought they were. That's not only a problem for the franchise, that's a problem for the player. And it's a problem for me as their agent, if that's the case. For me, I always say every player coming into the NBA has holes in their game, every single one. So for me, it's not a problem. It's for me, it's preparing my, my clients, but it's also exposing them to the franchise because I want my clients going again to good franchises, but I want them going to places or franchises where they're wanted, including their flaws. Because if a team is going to buy into a player knowing that there's a hole in their game or there's a flaw that could otherwise be developed because they're young, that's the place that I think they should be because they know exactly what they're getting and committing to. I've asked you this question before, but it's I've always enjoyed hearing about it. So I'll ask it again. What goes into now the player agent relationship with the draft over? And I think a lot of people only mention agents when it's, you know, a new contract time or the pre-draft process, or if there's a trade rumor out there, what else goes into the, the agent player relationship in terms of maintaining that now that, you know, it could be specifically with Josh, but you have Pascal Siakam, Kavan Looney, Thomas Bryant, like what goes into uh, maintaining these relationships now when it's not a contract year or they're not being, they're not part of the pre-draft process. You know, every again, every player agent relationship is different. I know for me, it's always about the, you know, it's like I, I, my clients laugh at me and really more so their parents. I say that I'm a wedding planner and, uh, and, uh, and a, wed a marriage counselor, you know, during the pre-draft process, right? Because the draft is this big, hyped up celebration, which is important. Like I want it to be special for my clients, but, you know, it's like the stories of the wedding planner. They hear, they, they see the couple or they see the groom or the bride and they're like, ah, they, this person's not going to make it or they have something genuine here. So for me, that's, that's it for my clients is one, I'm meticulous about who I represent and there has to be that fit where um, there's that relationship there, or that bond, because it's a very personal business where my clients need to take my advice because that's what they're hiring me for based on my experience. And I'm not one to sugarcoat information to them. So not only do they have to trust me, but they got to be able to take the information that I'm communicating to them. So, you know, the pre-draft process, yes, is establishing that relationship or the rapport with the client. But after the draft, and, and I tell this to my clients, phase one is over. This is phase two like a marriage or, or like a wedding, the real work, ha you know, the real work of a marriage happens after the wedding. Right. So now we got to really put in the work. Now it's phase two. You know, I sit down with my clients. We have a goal. 
we, we, we write down, I make sure my clients write down their goals, uh, short-term and long-term. And then we get to work with putting together a plan to make sure that those things are being executed. Because if we're able to check those boxes, good things will happen a few years from now when they're up for their second contract. I tell all my clients this, you're, the rookies, your second, your, the negotiations for your second contract have already begun, right? They're, you can't wait to negotiate until that contract year. Every little detail of their approach to um, practice, the games, their professionalism, uh, how they are in the community, their relationship with the coaching staff and the organization, and just the work we put in, that's all building towards the negotiation of what I hope will be max contracts or maximizing their potential. So that's, that's what's going into everything now. And then constant communication with the team. I think every, a lot of agents will agree in some ways, the easy part is in the negotiation. The dip more difficulty is in the servicing of those contracts is where the real work is. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on, giving us a, a lot more insight into the, the pre-draft process for Josh Primo and just the, the process overall. I know as someone who doesn't get into watching college prospects until right before the draft, he's one of the players I'm most fascinated by, in part because of that huge jump. So I'll certainly be keeping an eye on him. And again, thank you so much for uh, stopping by once again and giving us some more insight into how that all came about. No, I appreciate you having me uh, having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk about talk shop about basketball where what the, the current state is whether it's draft free agency or, or any of my clients i appreciate you for having me on again